This is the Impunity Observer podcast. Fergus Hodgson here, publisher and host of the monthly show. I'm glad we have an episode in English this month. And I am just so pleased to be speaking with you about what is going on in Argentina. We had a live stream with two of my good friends there. And now we can, I guess, assess the initial uh, developments of this new era or regime. And I have with me a guest, and I think we interviewed him a year or two back, but on a in a different context. His name is Martin Litbuck, and he's an international tax and wealth structuring expert, originally from Argentina, but he's also qualified to work in the British Virgin Islands, England and Wales, and he spends a lot of his time here in the United States these days. You can follow him on Twitter. He has about 100,000 followers, just at martinlitbuck.com. And we'll have the link to that in case you get confused by the spelling. L-I-T-W-A-K is his last name. And also martinlitvak.com for his website. Martin, please give me your, I guess, initial reaction to Millet getting elected. Was this a shock to you? It would have been a shock probably a year earlier. I think that uh, after the, um, the first elections uh, to determine the candidate of the different coalitions, it was it was a really important contestant to the to the presidency and as time went by i mean the past government was really really a bad one and it was really it would have been impossible for them to to keep power fernandez not not macri yeah exactly fernandez um, alberto fernandez was really a, a, a really bad president uh, i would say an absent president and his uh, ministry of uh, minister of economy was the the candidate so with uh, the inflation Argentina had at the time, uh, having a, a minister of economy running for presidency was really, you know, it would have been a surprise for him to win. Counterintuitive, counterintuitive to say the least. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that um, it was not a surprise at the end of the day that, that, that Millet won. Actually, my, my own prediction was that he would win either in the first uh, round or in the ballotage, but, you know, it, it was uh, something I anticipated to my clients, um, you know, for, for planning purposes, we have to try to think ahead of, 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 of facts. And I think it's, it's, it, it was the, it was a really good thing for the country at the end of the day. I mean, I think there was between him and, 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 and Massa, there was no option really. I mean, nobody, um, I mean, the people who voted for Massa was essentially public uh, employees, people who receive, uh, receive money from government. So, uh, Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of them. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, uh, that's why Massa got 44% of the votes. He could, he should have received 20. But, but again, I think, you know, I think it was a really good, good news for Argentina that, that the libertarian president won the elections. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but even if he doesn't do a great government, I think from a, from a cultural uh, battle point of view, it's good to have somebody with, with his background in the presidency. So again, most of the people are happy. Of course, Argentina is still going through a lot of pain and will continue to be the case. I mean, we, we are anticipating, the government's anticipating you know, 100% of inflation in the first three months of the year. Uh, well, actually in December, January, and February. So by March, People in the people that are not rich will be suffering a lot to pay, you know, private schools, uh, private medicine, and things like that. So it's going to be it's going to be complicated for him probably in March, April, if if changes uh, don't generate an immediate effect. 
Again, I think it's what I think is what Argentina needs to do. I mean, Argentina cannot leave, uh, you know, printing money, uh, having new debt. It's been going so well for so long. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, the, the, I think the main problem with Argentina, quite frankly, is that you know, Argentina when it started to to fall was a really very rich country. So it took probably 70, 80 years for people to understand that we are in deep trouble and that we need a huge change, you know, an 180-degree change. There's so much to say about that, and I, I appreciate your perspective. I'm so glad we have you on, Martin. So in some ways, if right now in Canada, we have a very interventionist, uh, centralized government over a, a vast country like Argentina is a vast country. People don't realize it often that it's a very, in many, in many ways, sparsely populated country. Now, and if you did what is going on in Canada for 70 years, you know, you're going to have some problems. So now one question where someone with your insight would would be helpful is the role of the Kirchneristas or the Kirchner wing. She was president, got ousted, then came back as vice president. Was it a case of her basically pulling the strings and, and Alberto Fernandez just being a placeholder? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that was her plan. Obviously, she would have hoped for a different outcome in terms of the the results of the Argentinian government, but he, but she was in a really great position because uh, Alberto is the one to blame. She she doesn't take so much of the head. Yeah, she's just no, you know. no, and, and actually, you know, I, I was I was talking the other couple of days ago with people from her um, party, and they're, they're they're of course thinking about the next election already, and and what they're saying is, listen, if the country is still crapping for years. Um, our main strategy for the campaign would be to say, listen, the, the, the last 12 years, Argentina had eight years of neoliberalism governments, Macri and Millet. And for years, we have one of ours, but he was not the best candidate. So he will they will talk very poorly about Alberto Fernandez anyway. And they will say that was not <laughs> real Kirchnerism. We need to go back to power. This word neoliberalism or neoliberalism, people throw this around so loosely. I oh, cannot believe yeah. it. Yeah. Because I remember just, I was in Argentina just a year ago and there were all these people, this is back before the whole Millet uh, thing happened, just basically camping out in the middle, middle of Buenos Aires. They're having these long-term protests. It's a bit like an Occupy Wall Street, but in the middle of Buenos Aires. And they were yelling about neoliberalism. And I was thinking, what planet do you live on? This country is the most overtaxed, overregulated country on the planet. And yet they it's it's like this very specious or very enigmatic term that you can just throw at anything. Right? It's, it's very ill-defined. Yeah, we we never we never got anybody to actually come up with a good definition for it. You know, the, you know, even the the the, the socialists and communists that we have in Argentina, they, they cannot really define. It's like a slogan. It's like, you know, it's just a um pejorative thrown at people. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, I mean, the, the main problem for Argentina is what you just mentioned. I mean, we have over 170 taxes. We have examples, double, triple, yes. quadruple <laughs> taxation. In addition to that, because there's yeah. a lot of, a lot of uh, informal economy, the real effort that people that pay taxes uh, make is even bigger. So it's really a country where if you pay the taxes, uh, you go bankrupt. Forget, forget it. Yeah, so that's that what is, my friends said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you pay all the taxes, you go bankrupt. That's it. Actually, it's the only country in the world where I mean, in each country you have the government as a minority 
partner of your ventures. I mean, if I make $100 in, in Miami, I have to pay $37 probably to the government. So it's a minority shareholder. In Argentina, if a company has, let's say, a profit of $206, and that's the, 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 the number to, to make an easy math, if you have $206 of profit, you get 100 and the government get 106. So the government is the majority partner of your business. And that's the only country where it happens. So um, it's, it's you know, and, and, and this is actually my only, the only point where I'm not uh, extremely happy with the government. I think Millet has sent a huge piece of legislation to the, to the parliament. It has more than yes. 600 articles. And he also passed a decree uh, both of them unregulate a lot of industries, and that is brilliant. Deregulate. At the same time, he's not reducing taxes. I think he's afraid that he's not going to... Get it passed? Yeah, no, I think he, he's afraid that if he reduces taxes, he will get a, a lower um, lower resources to the government, which actually, by, by all standard, Argentina is uh, is a tax hell. And if you reduce mm. taxes, you will get more money. It's, it's a classic Laffer... It's uh, Laffer example. curve scenario. Yeah, yeah, so... And I think this is the only issue that... You know, I know Javier is, uh, is pro-Laffer. We discussed it many times. And uh, I don't know why he's not doing this now. And that, that's my only, my only concern. If there are pressures internal in the government, I don't know. But for some reason, he's not doing something that he believes in. And, and that's my only, let's say, not red light, let's say yellow light. Um, okay. All the rest is really, is really great what he's doing. Yeah. So actually, so let's get into it because there's a big problem that even if you or I were to get elected to some presidency, that doesn't mean we can just suddenly turn it into a classical liberal free market paradise, right? It's not that simple. Even if one might want to, we're like I would turn the United States into a tax haven, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. But then you've got these other people who will resist, you know. Yeah. And uh, if you, like you said, if you've got forty something percent of people who are feeding at the trough, and they're psycho, they're violent, they will resist aggressively. So that's why when I mean I was pleasantly surprised that Malay uh, prevailed, but I I just have this suspicion always that. You can't put too much weight on one man to fix an entire country. It's just too much. Well, a couple of things about that. First of all, he has now the the honeymoon with the voters. And the good thing is that in Argentina, January and February are vacation. It's like, you know, July and August here. So nobody is really paying too much attention. So whatever he needs to do, he needs to do it now. By March, he needs to have already deregulated most of the things he wanted to deregulate. That's one thing. Now, on the other on the other hand, you know, two more comments. For me, uh, the, the presidency of Millet is some sort of a, a, a situation, a binary situation. Is uh, glory or, you know, total failure. There's, not, there's no leading term here. Uh, in Argentina, we say, es la gloria o devoto. Devoto being one of the jails there in Argentina. So, you know, it's like <laughs> he, he cannot do... Cannot do yeah. a so-so government. He needs to to he needs to fight and die for what he believes. And the other thing is, in most of countries, a populist government or a messianic government won't work. And as liberal, you know, liberal in the in the Latin American sense of the word, not classical liberal. Yes, liberal. Yeah. So I would always be against any populist uh, government. But in Argentina, we generally believe in messianic leaders. 
historically, that's been the case. Terrible. Uh, yeah. That is terrible. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's, again, we don't have, we are not, you know, World Cup champion before because we have a good team. We have Messi or we have Maradona. Uh, <laughs> and in politics, so we true. Have Menem. So true. Uh, so yeah. we have Menem and then we have Roca and we have Perón. For, for good or for worse, I mean, we, we, we do, you know, people with that profile. So I think it might work a little bit better than in other countries. Of course, there is a big risk that he will, if he succeeds, accumulate a lot of power. And if he fails, uh, everything that he wishes for will not be finally achieved. So it, it's it's a complicated situation. I think, again, I think he has two more months to, to do really whatever he wants. In, in March, April, with people back from vacations, with 100% already of inflation in the previous three months, um, maybe that 44% of people who were against him will be 54 or 60. So, you know, people who are not being able to pay for food or for uh, medicine or for education, it will be very difficult to support the government ideologically if you cannot pay for the things you need. So, again, the next two or three months are really uh, key. And I I, I think he, he will either be successful and he will concentrate more power and he will be able to do all the reforms or the left will be on the street, you know, uh, making protests aggressively, as you mentioned before, and we, maybe we, he end up before, you know, he, 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 his turn, basically. Yeah, so, okay. There's a lot going on. So, so do you want to comment on the quality or lack thereof of his cabinet or his team, the people who are working around him? I think that was better than we expected. Is of course a, a better cabinet than and a smaller cabinet than the last two presidencies, Macri and Fernandez. So I I don't think that that is the problem. I think uh, the the problem for him will be the parliament, where he is a minority. You know, differently from what happened, for example, here in the U.S., it is you know not necessarily who wins the election has majority uh, of the of the parliament. Here is very unusual that that situation at least in the initial two years of government. Um, but he is in, in minority. I mean, fortunately, what appears to be happening is that the the coalition that that um, Macri uh, headed uh, is um, supporting in the parliament, the project. So that that might be that might put him on a on a simple majority at least, which is good. And the other thing is the street. I mean, people in the street, uh, you know, how the left um, reacted in in Colombia, uh, in Chile, um, Ecuador, Ecuador, yeah, when they when yeah. they want to Bolivia, when they want to remove a government. So I think um, we need to support uh, Millet, even if he makes mistakes, and we need to support him actively. And uh, and people in Argentina will need to go to the street to support when when some people are starting to complain because that's otherwise it's going to be very difficult. That's, that's my concern, that these people who have grown in just an enormous entitlement mentality, as I said, they, they throw a tantrum. They'll go and burn tires on the roads. They'll start smashing things. They behave like children. Well, they have nothing to lose, really. At, at least at the moment, historically in Argentina, they, they were no consequences of aggressive protesting. Now we have a ministry, a minister of security, which is Patricia Bullrich, who was actually the, the candidate for presidency for the 
for uh, Macri's coalition. And she's strong. She's a, she's a strong woman. She knows the police and, and the other forces. And that's some, some sort of reassurance when you have people in the street protesting. So again, so far, so good. The problem again is the, the middle class. Uh, if the middle class decides to stay at home or even to protest because they cannot pay some things, it will be very, very, very complicated. If the middle class stays with the government and uh, and their position is against the people protesting, then it's going to be okay for Millet. Okay. Now, many of us, I mean, look, the inflation is one of the big, big issues that we're all familiar with. And I put out on Twitter that when I went to Argentina in 2016, the black market rate was 15 pesos to the dollar. So fast forward eight years, and it is over a thousand. So from 15 pesos per dollar to over a thousand per dollar, that gives people a sense. I mean, and we've had high inflation here. You know, we've all been complaining about inflation here. Okay. <laughs> We're all going, this guy, he can do it. He can be like Ecuador or Panama and he can dollarize Argentina. Is this actually going to happen? It might. It might. Rumors are that the U.S. doesn't want to cooperate with that. What? Yeah, I don't know. Rumors. Okay. But, but yeah, I think, you know, um, the problem, well, not the problem. This, I mean, Argentinians love dollars. I think that Argentina is the country with the most U.S. dollars than any other bills than any other country just in the per world. Cap, just, held, just held yeah. in physical, physical held, possession. Yeah, physical possession, exactly. Um, yeah. Only second to the U.S., actually. So um, I think that, that might be a case. I think that, but but the government has has said is that they need to stabilize the, 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 the economy first. And actually, that's not... That's not wrong. I mean, I, I had a discussion with the president of the Central Bank in Ecuador that dollarized Ecuador. That was was there when, when the president dollarized Ecuador. Uh, he lives in Miami. Actually, I had a few meetings with him in the past six months. And yes. what he said to me was, listen, the dollarization in Ecuador was never, it never ended because, you know, the, we were supposed to, of course, dollarize the the, the monetary, they the, say the monetary aspect of the dollarization uh, took place because, you know, the, 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 the local currency was replaced by the dollar. But after that, they were supposed to open up all the markets so that more dollars can enter into the market. And without that, he doesn't consider that the dollarization is complete. Uh, he thinks that it's a process that is still very much going on. And the reason why that's the case is because Korea... Uh, went to power a few years ago. So I think that Millet, what Millet is doing, if he's doing that, because we don't know, but if he is trying to first sort out the main problems of Argentina and then dollarize, it sounds like a better plan than dollarize all of a sudden, but still have restrictions to send money to you know other countries and uh, high taxes so that you cannot compete and very old labor laws. So I need you need you need to modernize and and regulate and then dollarize. So I think it's, it might be the case. Yes, that's that's a, a, an interesting way you've, you've you've couched the argument that it's not just that we declare that dollars are our currency. There's a lot more to it than that. That capital controls are a problem. They're an impediment to actually using dollars. And then of course there's actually voluntary uptake. So. In many ways, Argentina has already dollarized informally. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 You have, I mean, you, if you want to buy a, a house, nobody publicizes the price of a house in pesos. 
I mean, it would be through the roof. I, I did just wait a couple of days and the exchange, the, you know, the exchange rate has changed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the dollar and, and dollar probably continue to rise. I mean, it's, it's, um, it's, the, I mean, people say in Argentina, the dollar is like a, like a, like a stock that always goes up. So, well, versus the peso, sure. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Versus the, no, no, versus the peso. I mean, the point is, you never, I was saying that the dollar is never expensive. The dollar is always cheap in Argentina because it will go up. Mm. That's for sure. It right, might go up right. sooner or later, quicker or you know faster or slower, but it goes up. Yes. Uh, well, I, I remember the last the last time, the last time that the peso, the dollar was had the same nominal value in Uruguay and Argentina was in 2016, actually. In 2016, the dollar in Argentina, probably after your trip, reached uh, mm. 40 pesos at one point. Oh. Uh, and uh, Uruguay was also 40 pesos. That was 2016. So we are now eight years after that. Mm. Uruguay is still 40 pesos. And Argentina is 1,100. So well, it's crazy. I just remember it very clearly because I got on this was this was the start of 2016 and 2016 there were all sorts of problems at that time too so it might have gotten up to 40 I can't remember but when I got on the the ferry from Buenos Aires to Montevideo they could they could give the informal rate because they weren't they were no longer in Argentine yeah. jurisdiction they could just trade whatever yeah. they wanted to exactly, and yeah. suddenly all the kind of like the official rate that was just kind of forgotten and it was 15.5 or something like that they were they were um, paying for dollars now okay you're a tax man and yeah wealth structuring specialist what does this all mean you said something like 130 taxes are we going to cut them down to, I don't know, 120? <laughs> well, the funny thing is that we have 170, yes. not 130. So it's, okay. it's, but from those 170 taxes, there are 10 taxes or 11 that uh, generate more than 92% of the revenues of the government. So actually you have, you have to get rid of 160 and just leave 10 or 11. Uh, the problem with Argentina is that everything you do is taxable. So you earn money, you pay taxes, which is fine. Everybody does that in any place in the world. But then if you spend money, you pay taxes, which again, that's the normal way. Most countries, even the successful one, will charge taxes on the gains, the income and the expenses. But then in Argentina, okay. if you keep the money, you also pay a tax, which is mm -hmm. wealth tax. And if you make an investment, you pay transactional tax. Like, you know, every, let's say every single, this is crazy to understand from an American, but you know, every single dollar that gets into your account pays the debit and credit tax, which is 0. 0.6. And of course it's nothing, it's 0. 0.6. But you wow, know, that's you never get a full yeah. dollar in your account. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. Then you have a whole bunch of uh, of presumption that you know if you have a second house. So just just transaction costs, just yeah. transaction tax, just moving no, money the, around, you're being taxed. The point is, yeah. the point is, successful countries never charge transactions or wealth because those taxes do not incentivize saving, investing, and therefore growing. Okay. Uh, and our taxes are designed for the rich to pay, but the, the effect of those taxes is that poor people get poorer, basically. 
because the rich people generally uh, don't care about whether the country grows or not because they have their money already. Now the poor people, if the country goes down, are the most affected. So all those taxes are really bad for the poor people, for the employees, uh, for people who cannot transfer that tax burden into another. People have, who have any aspiration of moving, moving up in the world, they're the ones who are really hurt. And just, I, I've said this before on the show, I did live in Argentina for a year and we were having all these debates, like I said, about this neoliberalismo and I just thought the world has passed you by. Are we going to sit here and discuss, yeah, these hundred and something taxes or seek to be competitive? It, it, you know, because the further you fall behind, the more you kind of go in, into your shell and almost, it's almost you're almost afraid to compete because you can't, you know, you become so unproductive. And this is, it's just, like I said, Argentina to me is a, a, a case study of the post first world nation, right? The nation that was first world and that is no longer. Well, it, it's probably the only example that I know of. Yeah, because you got to really work hard to get poor after being rich. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, I think the other example, the, the the three examples I can think of, and this is worldwide probably. I don't know if you know, I I might be missing a country in Africa or, or Asia, but you know, Argentina, Venezuela, and Cuba. Okay. Uh, yeah. 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 Sure. You no, know, yeah. Cuba in 1959 was the first economy in Latin America. Okay. Uh, first uh, traffic light, the first cars, the first, no, you know. Television, television per capita, televisions per people, capita, yeah. People who, who, who left, and, and this is a, I heard the story many times, people who left Cuba to move to Argentina at that time because of the revolution, they arrived in Argentina and say, hey, what happened here? I mean, we had a much better lifestyle in Cuba. <laughs> oh, so it's uh, it's crazy, but um, yeah, it seems that at one point, and you mentioned Canada before, it's not at one point where things go really well. There is this trend um, to distribute, and this is where the problem starts when you start distributing wealth, and people who doesn't work get something that they don't deserve at the at the, at the end of the day. Right. Okay. So the taxes. You're not sure. You 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 say you ideally just hold on to the ten or so and get rid of the rest because of all the compliance costs, basically. Because people forget that yes, taxes bring in revenue, but they also place a, a compliance burden, and Absolutely. this is a, a drag on any kind of innovation, whatever. So if you could just wipe the board and cut down to the ten, that would be incredibly. And, and again, the point is, when a country goes, when a country does. Well, you see a lot of people making money and spending money. Just tax those things. You don't need more taxes. Yes, but tell us, is Malay actually going to do this? What's going on? Is this going to happen? Hopefully, you know. Um, <laughs> the, problem, the problem with Argentina, no, the problem with Argentina is, is, is actually bigger than that. And I don't know if you know about this, but, you know, we, we, have a, we are a federal country. We have 20-something uh, provinces, like states. But... You know, the U.S. Or, or, uh, or Spain or Switzerland are countries that are federal from a government, uh, but also they operate as, as, as real federal countries. So, you know, one state can, can have an income tax, another state can, can compete with that and have a better taxation or worse taxation. You see what happens. Uh, the, the, burden, the tax burden of uh, somebody who lives in California is not the same as somebody who lives in Miami. And that's, you know, that's... Now, Argentina doesn't do that. 
Argentina is a federal country, but the government, the central government is the one that actually creates and, and get paid for the taxes uh, in the vast majority of the taxes. So what happens is that there is a law that is called the co-participation law, where they receive the money, the government, central government receive the money, and then they distribute the money among the states, let's say, which creates a lot of problems because you have, for example, provinces in the north that don't generate any revenue, that have 60% of public servants. And they basically, what we say is that the, the VAT of the poor people outside the city of Buenos Aires pays for you know, very good salaries of public servants in Santiago del Estero in the north. So they need to get rid of that law and allow provinces to compete. And that needs a constitutional reform. So even if Millet reduces the taxes, they are still going to get the taxes paid at the, at the federal you know, level. And then also the federal government uses that politically. They send more money to of course. provinces that they... Yeah. So that's the main problem. You need to... The same way you need to take out the politics from printing money and from the monetary policies, you need to take out the, 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 the government from taxation. So you need to have a system where provinces compete and the government, the central government is not able to interfere. So so does this constitutional element, does this date back to the Peron, Peron era? No, actually, that's something that was included by uh, Menem in the in the, the 90s. before in the yeah in ninety four. Oh wow! First co-participation law was a few years before Peron got elected. Peron didn't have a lot of problem with taxation. Um, you know, at that time the tax was really the taxes were actually worldwide were really low. Um, so there was no problem. There was a new inhabitants you know, moving to Argentina because of the war. So taxation was never a problem during the Peronist. Uh, during the, the Peron era, let's say. And uh, Menem was the one who put it, who elevated this co-participation law into constitutional uh, hierarchy, basically. So now it's complicated. I, I want you to give us some predictions, though. I feel like you, you're telling us, and I agree with you, all these ideas. And in many ways, you're revealing what I suspected, that there are so many layers that it's very tough for one man to get in there and just kind of move it along easily. Like, like you said, especially if there's a constitutional impediment to local taxation collection. Yeah, I think that the, 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 what might happen, if we want to be optimistic, what needs to happen is that with a great you know, opening to the world and the regulation and stuff like that, Argentina would be so successful that even having a huge uh, tax burden would not, will not jeopardize the the revenues of the country and the growth so argentina needs to grow despite the really uh toxic tax system it has actually it's not a system i always say this is we don't have a tax system we have tax regime nobody thought about having a, a a logical system of tax collection and stuff like that you know there are people it's just a war it's a war basically yeah 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 i think again if if uh if people start realizing that the, that the country is going well, maybe he will have the political power to do a constitutional, you know, um, amendment and uh, and sim- at least simplify the tax system. You know, if if not improve, at least simplify. Which again, from a compliance perspective, as you said before, from the cost perspective, is going to be something positive. 
Um, I think the point, and this is I discussed this with some people from the government, is they are convinced that they need to be to first they regulate the economy and reduce the the expenditures of the government, and then have a, a proper tax discussion. Uh, I don't agree with that, but I respect the position. Of course, there's nothing I could do about it. Uh, I only hope that when the time arrives for tax discussion, they do a really in-depth review of the whole regime. Right. Yeah. In some ways, you might say it's fiscally responsible to do that, to li liberalize the economy and to uh, w have some austerity with spending without cutting taxes. But like you well, said, if, if I, you believe in the Laffer curve, right, if you I mean, which you, it's basically a tautology that you if you tax people 100 percent, then they'll do nothing. Right. No, no. I, I, I mean, and, and actually, there's a very good explanation for for. Uh even if you forget about the Laffer curve, if you open the economy and let's say you let the, the Argentinian textile industry to compete with China and India and Malaysia, which is fine, they need to compete. That's, that's okay. I'm, I'm all, all for that. But at the same time, you need to, to create labor laws and, and, tax, and tax system that is similar to, to theirs. Otherwise, they would be competing. You're fighting uh, with one hand behind your back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that's the problem. I think we should... Even if the Laffer Club doesn't work, you need to do both things at the same time. You need to allow for people in Argentina to compete. If you if you don't reduce taxes and you don't flexibilize the labor laws, you are not allowing really them to compete. You are virtually, um, you know, uh, forfeiting all your local industries. One final remark, and Martin, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you. Do you want to comment on the future of, let's say, the informal economy? Because, of course... This toxic tax regime and regulatory environment has created an enormous informal economy in Argentina. So you can go on, is it Libre Mercado? Basically, they have their own little Craigslist website and you get almost everything at the tax-free or duty-free rate. You know? <laughs> so, so if you want to buy a rowing machine or whatever it may be, people are, people are smuggling these things in somehow. I don't know how they get them in, but they get them in there somehow. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So is this... I mean, I'm trying to think, will there be ideally some kind of transition to formalizing the economy where you can build more of a, 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 a you know, sophisticated business? You know, it's all about having the right incentives. I mean, uh, a tax system is a system of, of incentives. Um, if you have, a, a, let's say, an income tax of 20%, uh, nobody will, you know, risk their freedom and their money to smuggle things into the country. Now, if you have 40%, that's different. So I think that actually, the, I always say that Argentina has a lot of fights to fight. But for me, the first one, the mother of all battles is a tax fight. Uh, even if you don't, because it might happen, let's think for a second that the Laffer curves work, which I think it works, and there are many examples that it throughout the history. But if you have, if you put together the right fiscal reform, tax reform, with all the tax cuts, all the good tax tax cuts, then you will actually raise the revenues. So you might not need to reduce the, the size of the government, which again, I'm all for reducing it. But if you have to pick one fight, the tax fight might sort out more problems than the reduction of the state, reduction of the government fight. Okay. Okay. We'll leave it there. I like that that conclusion. 
Martin, well, we've been speaking with speaking with Martin Lidbach, and his he's on Twitter, Martin at Martin Lidbach, and martinlidbach.com is his website. Mate, it's a it's a pleasure to meet you. Hope we catch up in person one of these days. Absolutely. Thank you very much for your time. And yeah, uh, let's do that.